Hello and welcome to episode number seven of Make It Stack, the podcast designed to demystify the world of saving and investing for young people. My name is Will Waterhouse and I'll be your host. I'm co-hosted by Joe Waterhouse as well. So today in this episode, we have uh, one of my good friends, Toby Maxted. Toby himself works at a large UK investment platform uh, provider. And he also is very interested in carrying out his own uh, portfolio management. Further to this, he's also into the Forex market and he's keen to discuss the uh, major pitfalls that uh, individuals can, can find themselves in, uh, but also the opportunities uh, surrounding it as well. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you very much. Okay, welcome to Make It Stack, episode number seven. So we're with uh, Toby Maxed here today. Uh, welcome to the Hello. pod, Toby. Hello, thank you for having me on. Uh, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Very busy. Very, very busy at the moment with work, but otherwise, yeah, really good. You? Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. Um, Joe's back on the pod, actually. Uh, wasn't on, I've had a couple of weeks time. off, but um, I'm now back on. Yeah, yeah to be back, back on the investing train, um, which is good to see. So, um, yeah, so Toby, second guest on the podcast. Do you want to just, like, tell tell the listeners a little bit about um, what you're doing at the moment and, um, you know, your, your kind of journey in the investing world so far? Sure. Yeah, no problem. So after university, I worked in a property, uh, a bank that specializes in property investment for around a year. Um, and yeah, that was really interesting. So learning from that sort of dynamic, how investors make a lot of money in that sort of area, in that sort of market. So basically, I just wrote up applications for people to get loans for them to buy either commercial or residential property. Um, from there, I just yeah, moved on to a investment platform, which I'm still out. And um, yeah, that's, that's the last few years myself. Um, yeah, that's yeah, what I've been and, up to. And so, and so um, in terms of your time um, working for that bank, um how how was your experience there in terms of uh, underwriting were you, were you underwriting mortgages and things like that yeah so i was at the you'd sort of say at the start of the process so if let's say um you two came and you had some cash and you wanted to sort of buy out a old commercial building um so you'd come to us with sort of a case of why we should lend you the money and how safe you are and i would be at the first line to sort of say if that's okay to do um so you'd put your point forward and i'd agree with it look at all the finances and then put that onto the credit analysis and they'd um sort of do the rest of it so um yeah it was, it was really interesting because i saw sort of learn sort of your average um sort of family just looking to buy a second home that they can rent out for residential purposes so three bedroom flat store thing um but also people who are looking to build um factories or looking to take over a factory rented out. So um yeah, it was it was very interesting to start off with. Um yeah. And, and do you and do you provide an opinion upon um the information that they fill out? So they they obviously come to you with, I don't know, if they've got X amount of money in their salary, etc. Do you then have to make a personal decision before it gets passed on to the next stage? Or is it like you are you are just essentially 
um, getting the information, compiling the information, and putting it onto the credit credit analyst to then figure out if they're like a suitable suitable go uh, suitable mm. uh, yeah. to make a loan to them. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so very much it, it was. Um, so we were sort of. Um, sort of the sales sort of department so we absolutely would have an opinion so if someone came to us this was a while ago so this was a a few years ago where i worked there but if someone did come to us with a um sort of a project they wanted to do that was like absolutely not feasible um they had loads of debt or they they weren't um they were sort of individuals who we wouldn't maybe lend to then we would Mm -hmm. sort of stop it there but um if if they were projects we thought would be good to go forwards then that would that was where we would take that and sort of pass it on to the relevant team so we'd filter it yeah. if that makes you, sense you, yeah. so you would like provide an opinion and, and you say so there's a fil- filtration process on your level to then what gets the next stage essentially yeah sure yeah, yeah absolutely yeah cool. this is actually quite interesting because i feel like a lot of people will at some point in their lives need to seek finance and you know take on credit um, from your time working was there any sort of particular red flags you look out for where if it was on your credit history you'd be like application declined yeah not giving you any money like especially from like Mm. a kind of individual standpoint say looking to get finance start a business or or a mortgage because i think a lot of people might actually need to jump through those hoops at some point in their lives yeah absolutely so one of the the main the main main red flags for us and we, obviously we're coming at it from a business perspective so i i can't comment too much on if it was just say me and you trying to get a mortgage as just you know just trying to live in a house but if you have debt collectors sort of who, who show up on your um on your bank balance i mean that's you know a real red flag straight away so they usually we'd have some people who would obviously have um, yeah, debt collectors chasing them for stuff, and we'd say absolutely no, don't want anything to do with it. Um, in addition, I'd say people who were sort of in a lot of consistent debt, whereas yeah, people, yeah, that sort of thing would be something again that would it is it's quite obvious stuff really when you think about it. So I mean, if, but yeah, so a lot of debt, sort of, sort of, we there'd be people like um, yeah debt collectors as well absolutely no um yeah yeah a few things like that um but again this is coming from a business relationship sort of standpoint so an investing relationship so i'm sure that mortgages just as a normal mortgage they're probably more more lenient um but um yeah and obviously again um the the main thing we would do is it have to work so the person coming to us would have to say i've you know, this is the amount of rent I think this property is going to generate. So, you know, we need to make sure that that's going to cover the mortgage repayments that they're going to have to pay. So the, the business case was a, a huge thing as well in sort of determining if they go through or not. Yeah. Interesting. So that sounds good, that. Nice one. So how long, how long did you work at that particular institution for? Was that just a couple of years out of you? So, that was six months out of uni so um, <laughs> yeah so it wasn't um i learned a lot but i yeah the job just wasn't for me so after that i then moved on to the, the investment firm i'm in now which is obviously uh, so we deal with sort of um <clears throat> in more investments so securities wise so funds yeah. and shares but um yeah so it's just a, a different area of finance really that i've moved on to absolutely and so um, in, ter- in terms of where you're at the moment, um, 
I know, I know a bit about, about your background. So the, the sort of product lines with the business you're working in is kind of, you know, stocks and shares, ISAs, lifetime ISAs, general investment accounts, things like that. Um, I'm assuming you've got these products yourself. Um, would you be able to sort of provide a bit, ba- bit of background about how you sort of went about um, building those particular, particular portfolios up? Yeah, sure. So I think one thing I personally found is the, the more I learn about stocks and shares and funds, the, I'd say the less sure I am on sort of the direction to go for. So if, if I'm absolutely honest, I don't have a, a set um, sort of um, investment strategy for myself, for my sort of my sort of pension really is the main thing I've got at the moment. Um, I'm just, um, I think there's just so much to read out there and so much learning to do that um, I haven't sort of come to a, a concise kind of, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to manage it. This is going to be me going forward. Um, uh, yeah. But it's, it's probably going to be fun based to be honest, passive, passive funds. For we, myself, were, I think. We, we were saying the exact same thing that uh, probably today to be fair, whereby um, we, so, you know, the past four months of course been at home, we've been um, kind of very fun focused, like kind of like uh, global, you know, different funds, loads of like exposure, uh, tracker, like S&P 500, et cetera. And then, um, and then we were talking about how we saw a snippet from Warren Buffett talking about like, you don't need to be right about loads of things and hundreds of stocks, you just need to be right about a few. And so we were kind of talking about that sort of thing. And so, and we've both got a similar portfolio in, insofar as that um, it's, it's, it's based, it's constructed off largely funds with a portion of kind of individual equities and things like that. And, but as I was saying to Will earlier, it's like, I'm slightly conflicted now, like, um, you know, do do I sort of take a punt and you know go after the the, the high returns? And you've got to be right about loads of stuff. You've got a few, or just go for the, the guaranteed the, mediocrity the and go for a go for a passive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I will go for the guaranteed mediocrity, but it's kind of a nice thought to think you could you, you could have before. Yeah, it's quite interesting, Toby, because you know you you were saying that um, you know you might go for a passive approach, but um, we both know full well that the asset and wealth management industry is based a lot on actively managed funds. Do you have any particular stance on that and, and what you think? Do you think there's some sort of conflict of interest or do you think there is actually yeah, value to be had there? It's something that I've, I think I've noticed for ages. So I think Warren Buffett, um, I think he said his, his, will, his Wills and Testament, that book, I'm not sure if you've read it, um, but he says in that, that I th- I'm sure he said this, that there's a point where he says if, if anyone asks him what to do now, um, he just throw everything into a passive fund because, you know, you get active fund managers where they'll for a few years, maybe get amazing returns, but the market will always eventually outdo them. Now, I don't know if that's the case, but for all the sort of financial exams I've done, they've almost always put that idea into your heads. You know, there's always passages where they go, you know, what's the advantages of passive management? Well, no one's going to beat the market forever. So you might as well just put your money in there and let the market take care of itself. But people, you know, there's a massive, massive industry where people do jump into actively managed funds. I mean, people even, you know, will choose their own stocks thinking they can beat the market. So Mm. yeah, I think, I think that's kind of a default answer, isn't it really? What are you going to do with your pension? I'm just going to put it into something passive and just forget about it. But, um, one of the exams I'm doing at the moment made it made a quite an interesting point where it was like, you know, the, the book sort of makes the point that the, um, the passive, the passive funds will always outdo the active ones. But 
it's hard to convince people to jump into a passive fund when the market's down. So at the moment, mm. I'm in a, a FTSE 250 tracker because before COVID, I was like, I'll just put it into this. And, you know, there's a bit of, you know, because it's sort of the smaller companies, you know, as well, a bit more risk in there. So hopefully a yeah, bit, yeah. More, bit more growth. And that's absolutely tanked. I think it's down by like 13%. It's dragged my pension down. And when did you, um, jump, when did you yeah. jump in? Oh, it must have been like, I think it was about a year and a half ago. Right, okay. So it's absolutely tanked. And in my and I, I've done this, which is probably bad, where I've taken money out of it and put it into something else, mm. which is really, you know, even though I know or I've been taught at, in finance that the passive ones will always do better, I'm still taking money out and throwing it into something active instead. Yeah. Because I see like the, you know. It's like, sorry to like labor this point, but it's interesting that the, the exams that you've been studying for, I think it's the IMC, right, that, that you've been doing. Yeah. There's all this yeah. text about the fact that the market mm. will always outperform actively managed mandates in the long run. But so much of the industry is based on active management. I, I just feel like it's just such a weird thing to get your head around. But I mean, I, I just think a lot of it is the fact that active managers can command higher fees. So like there's more of an emphasis for managers to be like, you know what, let's just try and convince people that we are better. So that if they do go down that route, we can command command higher revenues. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's probably more to it than it's, that. But. What, yeah, I mean, to be fair, I'm, the, the book's got quite a few interesting points in it. I mean, one of the things they made me aware of uh, what are called closeted funds. And um, yeah, that's yeah, the term it uses. Yeah, yeah. And these are funds essentially where they'll have the fee structure of an actively managed fund, but 80% of the fund will be sort of tilted towards an index so it will, it will essentially try and just replicate sort of the footsie whereas yeah they're charging a high actively managed fee so it's mm. so you, those are out there and that's exactly really what you were saying there that really they're just tracking an index but they're pretending to be an actively managed fund so they they charge the higher fees yeah i've, I've told the story before in the podcast but it is that there's a bet that warren buffett took kind of like around 2000 where he bet against an actively managed no, so a fund manager that the S&P 500 over the next 15 years will outperform his fund. And it was a £2 million bet, which all went to charity, but it ended up the S&P 500 tracker came out better than this actively managed fund. And it's, and it's just quite funny, the sort of how that, how that plays out. Um, but yeah, it's kind of it's just... But it's interesting though that Warren Buffett talk, talks about how everyone should put money into an S&P 500 tracker, you know, buy America. But then on the flip side, he's actually saying, oh, all you need to do is hold you know, seven stocks, seven, seven wonderful it's businesses. True. Yeah, great businesses, yeah. yeah. And it, that's true, actually, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, like, yeah, it's almost like he's, 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 he's having two conflicting strategies I mean, to how are we meant to true. deal with that. Yeah. I think one thing, so I've read this book, I can't remember the author, but it's called Grand Rules. And um, it's, uh, I found it really great. It's all changed my mind sort of about investing. Um, I, I, I don't know who the author is, but yeah, it's called Grand Rules. And it's, uh, it's a guy who's sort of having a look at... Um, his Buffett sort of career over, over the years. And um, one of the things it says is that the market has changed so much now. I, I think sort of the idea of the book is that the, whereas before you could sort of find, there was sort of gaps where you could find companies that you think are, you know, you could be more active in your stock selection and that would do mm. well. Mm. But nowadays, because the market, like information is so quick, you know, and there's so much information. Yeah. That really the, you know, 
the market it's got to a point where I, I think the idea is that actually a passive fund will now maybe do better than an active uh, one. Whereas before, back in the day, mm. it maybe may have may have been the other way around. Um, so I think that's maybe yeah, maybe one thing that's. I mean, the market's definitely changed. Is from what I've yeah. gotten from my sort of reading and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so Toby, we actually <laughs> talked about this a bit offline a couple couple weeks ago, but I'm not sure if you know this, Jeff. But uh, Toby decided to. Uh, allocate some capital to Lloyd's Banking Group and, and Barclays, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to just provide the listeners a bit of insight into, into what went through your head before making that decision? Like, I'm actually okay. quite interested yeah. to, to hear, hear your stance on <laughs> uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to say that, um, yeah, if anyone is listening to this, they'll probably, or who, the people who are listening to it, sorry, will have probably realised that anything I do say should never be taken as advice, absolutely. Having said that, though, um, one, of, one of the things I'm thinking about at the moment is Lloyds and Barclays, the banking sector, a number of sectors aren't paying dividends at the moment. And the main reason a lot of people hold you know, banking or utility companies in their portfolios is because of the high dividends. So, I mean, Lloyds, Lloyds um, pays a really high dividend sort of yield-wise. Um, and it has historically now that is about as far as my analysis went in my head so obviously Lloyd's is then absolutely tanked with the rest of the market I'm thinking okay well if I put money in now then hopefully next year my idea is that hopefully Lloyd's will still pay a really a really decent yield and that will bounce back the price uh. um, so far I've been wrong with that but at the same time the the dividend situation hasn't you know there's been i don't believe any announcements for next year yet but i'm sort of thinking that when the market rebounds next year and they do start to pay a dividend again that's when investors are going to start to think okay time to jump back in for that dividend potentially and so and so can you see a potential reversal in the in the finance sector generally did you feel like the current environment has depressed share prices in that particular space and that and that there is a reasonable chance for recovery you know, in the short to medium term, do you, do you feel like that might be the case? Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's gonna it's gonna recover at some point, right? I mean, it's gonna it's gonna bounce back. Um, it's it's such a weird situation we're in because it's so we're now in sort of sort of a recession, but it's not it's not the same as it was in two thousand eight. So this is a pandemic, so the, the economy is all you know sort of slowed down, but it's not the banks sort of crashing as they did a few years ago. So. I, yeah, I, I'm not too sure, but my my thoughts is that I'm hoping that things will bounce back next year, and it's time to get into a, a few investments now that have 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 been going down yeah. <laughs> as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my thought was it's not going to Lloyd's isn't going to go below this point, and it and it has. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was um, I was reading something to, about a guy that was talking about how banks historically have um, traded at a very low PE ratio. And he was kind of making an argument for the fact that actually the PE ratio that banks have historically traded at roughly is actually much lower than, than they should be. And so they might be a good buy, you know, um, in, in, yeah. And so, so you're kind of saying that like banks are like a bit of a, value, a, bit, a, bit of a value investment yeah. where they're quite unloved. Yeah, just, the, just and it, was, yeah. it was specifically related to the price earnings ratio that they sort of usually trade at. Uh, which I, I can't remember why, but is it around like just sub 10, just, just around there? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's in stark contrast to big tech. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's, I, th- I thought that was quite interesting and kind of pl- uh, it plays in a little bit to what Toby's saying about... Um, yeah, so I think 
um, I think it's really the banking sector as well as utilities. You get certain sectors that are so linked with the market that they will just follow it up and down. Whereas you do get obviously stocks that just go the other way sometimes and break out. But I think the banking sector is very much tied to the um, tied to the market itself anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. And so, and so, do you have any other particular investments lined up in the pipeline for you to pull the trigger on, or, or are you just simply kind of doing kind of regular investments into into some default pension fund that you mentioned before? What's kind of what's kind of the the the, the game plan in terms of your own investing? Um, you know, over the next like three to five years, is, is there anything that you have in mind? I think. Um... Yeah, for me at the at the moment, I've just been so busy lately that my my investing strategies have very much fallen behind um, at the moment. But um, when I when I do have some more time, when I get these exams out of the way, I'm definitely going to review certainly review my pension. Um, I mean, it's that it's that sort of thing. Whereas I do have the majority of it just going into a Schroeder fund at the moment, um, which is the default one. And, it's it's been doing fine you know it's been doing okay it's it's in the it's in the green if you will so it's been doing okay but yeah I, i'm not too sure yet because again it, it comes back to that thing you know how active should you really be with your investments or should you be mm. passive so i think um i think one of the one of the stats and one of the books i'm reading at the moment sort of says that people who are maybe less active in their own in their investments actually do better yeah compared to people who do really actively trade um mm. so that's something that i've certainly before this, I mean, this is, I think this might have been a Buffett snippet or somebody else, but it was talking about how uh, people that actively manage their stuff sometimes they do well in some some investments and then uh, perform super well, but then that's actually offset in its entirety by the times that they get it wrong. And so you've got the good ones and the bad ones, and it kind of balances out the kind of actively managed side of things. And so the more you do, the kind of the more you're wrong, the more you're right, and it's kind of like balances it out potentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean. I mean, I, I think there's a happy medium where you're not trading too often that you're kind of describing what, what you just said. Yeah. Know? But then you're not too disengaged that you fail to see the evolution of the portfolio going the wrong way, i.e. you've got far too much exposure in one particular geography as opposed sure. to another yeah. or one particular sector. Um, so I, yeah, so I think for me personally, um, you know, quarterly, quarterly or biannual rebalancing Mm. sounds you know like a like a reasonable course of action um because yeah. at the end of the day if you're trading say for example equities the only thing that you know in place of trade is commission that's the only thing that you really know for sure yeah you don't know where the stops gonna go <laughs> up, down or sideways yeah the only thing is with uh, actively managing stuff and thinking that you know you've like stopped picking is that it's really sexy so you're like <laughs> you think that you're sort of like some sort of hedge fund guy you're like oh and you <laughs> find a stock yeah. and it's undervalued do you think oh this could do this could go bang 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 and you're like, oh, that's, that's cool, and it could, and that's part of, partly why I think I incorporated some of that into mine, just because it's kind of, I don't know, I feel like it might not be the best decision financially necessarily, um, but it's actually quite a, I don't know, yeah, quite that sexy. Dope, that dopamine kick you when, kind of, when you when you hit you the deal feel quite Wall Street, and I quite like that. So <laughs> I don't know, uh, maybe not. Yeah, I think I, and now I could be completely wrong, but I, some sort of along those lines, something that has sort of come to mind is I think. Might have been Fidelity had a look at their accounts after the crash in two thousand and eight, and saw that the some of the some of their best. I'm not sure if some of the best, but they they say said that some clients who'd forgotten that they had accounts with them were some of the ones that had done the best. 
because mm-hmm. they just completely forgot about their investments and sort of left them to it. And then because, you know, there's that, there's no, no emotion there is there. So when you trade sometimes, like when things are going down, you, you kind of emotionally want to get out of that. You just want to do well. Yeah. But yeah, yeah d- definitely. I mean, so we were actually talking about this today, Joe, I think briefly, but, um, you know, in this day and age with the internet and live share prices always flickering, if you're semi-interested in investing, you could get pretty much a price feed, like wherever you are. And so when the markets are volatile and prices are going down, if, you're, if you succumb to your emotions, you could quite foreseeably make an irrational decision and mm, decide yeah. to sell. Whereas back in the day, you'd maybe check the, you'd check like the newspapers on, on a weekend um, in, in, in the finance section and you'll get your quarterly reports in the post. And so yeah. you kind yeah. of, you kind of, that kind of just, it, it sort of removes this sort of short term noise that, that, that people witness. Which yeah, you no, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, one of the, so one of the things, so one of the things I've been looking at very recently in the last sort of four months is sort of Forex trading and sort of, and how that's done. And one of the, one of the ways that I've sort of read on various websites to remove that emotional side of things is to have sort of an automatic system in place. So sometimes it's a bot where people have programmed them to invest in currencies when certain parameters have been hit. Mm. And that the idea is to take yourself emotionally out because you, you, you can't trust your emotions. So, when, so if you've made a decision that a currency is going to go one way, for example, and you're, you know, you've done all, all your indicators and all your parameters saying this is going to happen, and then when you do it, it, let's say it goes down slightly a few points or whatever, you're, you know, it's very natural for you to want to sell out of that position straight away. Whereas if you, if you have sort of these automatic systems in place, it, it removes that, you know, emotional sort of, um, yeah, side of things, which is, yeah. Mm, yeah, de- definitely. So I think, I think being systematic in your risk management is super important when, when you actually place a trade. You know, I, I, I think we've talked about this again before, Joe, but like, we're saying that when you say buy a stock, like a direct share in a company, you need to be willing for it to go down by at least 50%. And it's when people go into these very volatile assets with, without really appreciating the kind of the historic volatility of, of that asset. And so that can lead to, you know, irrational decisions down the line when, 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 it, when it does go down. Um, mm, definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so, you, you mentioned your sort of journey into Forex. So do you want to just sort of talk about how you got into that and, and, and what you've done thus far with it? Yeah, sure. So I promise I didn't see someone on Instagram who's got a Ferrari in a mansion. I thought, oh, that, <laughs> like Ty, that Ty be, Lopez. Yeah. <laughs> that could be me. Yeah. So I think, so since I've left uni, um, one of the things, and I think it's a generation thing as well, um, is I... I'm a bit obsessed with the idea of having sort of a secondary income as well as my job. Um, so one of the things I did just after uni is I, I started a yoga ball business on Amazon using sort of uh, fulfillment. Um, is that drop shipping? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I did that for a, a bit with a mate. Um, realistically, I just wanted to put it on the CV that I have my own company. So I thought it looked pretty, you know, anything to get a you know, better job, right? Or um, <laughs> So did that for a bit didn't go anywhere but learned so much about how how people on amazon make money um and then did you sell any yeah we sold the whole lot actually i was very surprised but um yeah it was called um it was called zinc fit fitness um so 
sorry because yeah. I, I, i'm i'm kind of um i uh, run a business at the minute it's very like manufacturing based and i'm i, I used to do a lot on ebay and stuff so i'm super interested mm. so did you did you buy the balls and brand the balls and then sell them through amazon as who you did you have a, were you a trader on amazon exclusively yeah like so running facebook ads or anything so we had i mean we had about 200 balls um so the way if i remember rightly it was when you go on amazon you search for sort of go through the categories and it will sort of say what's the sort of the highest thing that's selling yeah um i saw in the top 20 for sports fitness words um yoga balls i was like oh that must be you know yoga balls that'd be absolutely easy so me and a mate put in i think it was about 300 pounds between us yeah we bought yeah 200 yoga balls and we got our we got we called it zinc we got the brand Mm. zinc on a bag put the balls in um, um and yeah so we just um we just went on is it is it alibaba yeah yeah that's the one um yes yeah, so we just went on there found them sourced the product got it over um and then sent it straight off to amazon and they we just yeah basically sold it oh, really? um, yeah. yeah it wasn't yeah i think um because it's such a there's there's a lot of people doing the same thing though so you have to you've got to really try and be different i yeah. feel in essentially using amazon um that was our oh, sort yeah. of experience yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. cool and then how long did it take you to sell the, the stock you had <laughs> i think it took us about two and a half years to sell oh, really? yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't i think we we broke even to be fair yeah, yeah. um and i learned how to fill out a tax return which is good um yeah so uh yeah cool. yeah it was it was an experience it was yeah, yeah. learning something for sure but um yeah coming back to forex days it's i've throughout sort of my journey in finance and investing when i think of sort of day trading and sort of forex the immediate sort of connotation i have is gambling i'm not sure if you guys have had that yeah. as well so mm. if anyone says i'm day trading this today i think i you, you can you know i don't know why there's a subconscious sort of that's gambling there's you know that's not investing that's gambling um but sort of basically reading the books and just learning about sort of the different um instruments that are used in forest trading this kind of got me more interested in that side of things um so yeah i've been i've only been demoing an account for sort of the last few months so it's nothing nothing serious I haven't put any money into it but it's it's something i'm really interested in and there's a lot there's a lot to it as well to be fair to, to read into it yeah i get a lot of um uh mansions and ferraris on my instagram feed and my youtube, my yeah. YouTube pre-roll it's a lot of like um and so i think for me that that's the first thing i think about when i see the forest mm, definitely yeah, and, yeah um but yeah i to be fair i don't really know much about it um insofar as as yeah essentially that yeah but um the yeah so with with that side of things um the fca seems to have the problem with it is because the, the government seems to view forex as gambling but it is still done through sort of authorized brokers. So yeah. what, from what I can tell is with these sort of Instagram stars and these sort of bogus Forex trading, like um, gurus. Sort of training, yeah. training gurus or whatever, um, they're, they're, I think they're quite rarely authorized by the FCA. Um, yeah. So it's, it is definitely quite murky. So sort of an area of finance. Yeah, no, um, yeah, for sure. For, for absolute sure, yeah. Uh, I mean... I think the forex market is such a dodgy area for some disgruntled middle-aged person seeking uh, passive income. Because uh, yeah. if you think about it, like with, with say, say for example, the word of the stock market, 
ultimately companies generating profits will yeah. lead to returns in the long run and, and their ability to compound returns over time will, will lead to dividends and capital appreciation for shareholders. That makes sense. But with, with the Forex market, you're simply saying, right, I think that the, uh, there's going to be less demand for pounds versus, like, pounds versus euros. And so that'll be sure. relative. And you've got a kind of very short time horizon of say, you know, no more than a week. I think, I think that's kind of fair to say maybe a couple of months, depending yeah. on the strategy. Yeah, definitely, I, just, yeah. I just think to generate passive income, I mean, I, I, I just think that's so difficult to achieve. It wouldn't. Yeah. So here's, here's the thing. So one of the differences that I've sort of read quite a lot and um, listened to is it's, it's trading, it's not investing. So whereas when we think about sort of traditional investing, I look at Lloyd's and I think, oh, they haven't done a dividend this year, but next year they're going to do a dividend and the company will look really good and fine. So I'm going to invest, you know, I've got a, an idea that they're going to do very well in a year. With the trading definition, it's more of a case where you, you, you've got a number of sort of tools that you're using to sort of essentially gauge where you think the price of one currency is going to go to in in relation to another like relative value positions basically yeah so like so there's two ways to trade it from from what i've been reading over the past months is you can either do and this and these analysis are for everything as well so you can either do fundamental analysis which is i've read the news today and i think and the uk's um come out of recession it's done really well so i'm going to buy the pound relative to the US dollar because they've, they've done poorly. So that's sort of fundamental analysis. So you're using the, the news to gauge where you think the currencies are going to go in relation to each other. The other way people do it is uh, a thing called technical analysis. Not sure if you guys have come through this before, but it's essentially using charts and indicators to sort of gauge where you think the price is going to go. Um, so it's, the, the mindset is very different, I found, from looking at a company in the long run, thinking this is where the, that, that company is going to go. It's more of a case, my parameters and indicators are telling me that the price of one currency is going to go this way in relation to another today, and I'm just going to trade it and see how long I'm, I'm right for, essentially. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very different from your sort of traditional investing, absolutely, like I would definitely say. Mm. Yeah. And... Um... Another thing which which I think is is quite quite dangerous. Sorry, I think I'm, I'm I think I'm quite cynical here, uh, but feel free yeah, to pull sure. me up. But, but yeah. it's it's the kind of scope for for leverage and the fact yeah, that absolutely. when you open up an account, say with like IG, I think that's that's who you says you're with. Um, you know, you you're going to be opening up a position where, if say the pound appreciates by one percent, you're going to be up ten percent, right? With with that movement. Um, however, if it goes down 1%, your position is down minus, minus 10%. And so what that means is that with big, big, big swings in FX rates, you can, your capital can actually be blown out of the water. Sure, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would say just very quickly, um, I'm, I'm myself not absolutely convinced that I'm going to make money doing Forex. It's, it's more of an experiment, really, that I'm just interested to see what happens. Because I think... Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. So with leverage, you can essentially either make more money or lose more money with a, with a small amount to start with. Um, so that's one of the things that you, you have to be so keyed up on it and you have to really understand what it is because it could be super dangerous. Um, so one of the things from my demo account with IG, I would say, 
Um, and I don't think they, um, they include commission in the demo accounts. So, um, yeah, so I just think that's quite funny, really. <laughs> that, that, would just be ref- that would just be reflected in the spread, though, surely. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So, but one <laughs> of the things I would say is, so if I'm, say, looking at pound against dollar, and I think the pound's going to do really well, I have to have an amount of margin in my account before I can place certain trades. And usually the margin's like £2,000. So I'll say, let's, let's say that I think the pound's going to go up by uh, 30 points, for example. So I've got two things. So I'll put my sort of exit trade at 30 points and then I'll put something that's called a stop loss, which is where stop loss is where if the price hits your stop loss, you sell out of it. So you're, it's used to manage your risk, essentially. But even if I'm doing it at 30 points and if I hit it, I make 80 pounds. And if I don't hit it, I'll lose 20 I still have to have £2,000 in the margin account because you could do anything really with that. I mean, you can just set your, your stop loss so low and, it, and the market might even gap. So it misses your stop loss anyway. So as, with margin, there's, you, know, you, have to, you have to definitely be keyed up on it to use it properly, I, th- I feel. Didn't the pull of, pull of Forex is similar to the pull of actively managed stuff where it's like this sexy leverage, quick return, make a buck? It's like pulling people in. I mean, do you, like, is it? Do you think that's been a? Do you think the um, the sort of leveraged aspect to it with the sort of I don't know because it's it's not massively volatile it, it seems, but because it's uh, you know relatively volatile plus the leverage, it means that you can make a load of money in a short period of time. Do you think that's been a, a big pull for people? Um, and yeah, I definitely yeah, yeah. I definitely say so i mean one of the one of the sort of hilarious things no it's not hilarious but what i found it quite funny is usually when you go on these brokerage websites uh, you know there'll be a message that says 80 percent of our accounts lose money mm. so i think you know that get, get rich quick thing around it is so yeah so high so i think a lot of yeah. people I, I have an idea that a lot of people maybe jump into it without really doing any any research or anything and then we'll lose yeah. everything so don't maybe don't understand leverage um how to set stop losses the the yeah that is yeah, yeah. definitely it definitely yeah. seems like the case um one of the things that i've sort of so the answer to this sort of experiment is is it what's the difference between doing this and gambling mm-hmm. so for example i i don't know if any of you guys have ever put five pounds on one football team to beat another football team yeah, yeah, yeah. Half, half indeed yeah well yeah in 20 <laughs> 12 or whatever it was. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I put, I put a few quid on um, the Champions League final. And, yeah, won't talk about that, though. Anyway, um, <laughs> but one of the sort of the differences or from what I've read on sort of various websites is if you're simply putting money on the pound to do better than the dollar, you've got no stop loss and you've got no strategy, risk management strategy in place, then it's exactly the same as gambling. So you're just sort of hoping for the best. Mm. Whereas what, seems to be the strategy for a lot of people is they'll have a, a risk management system whereas they'll come up with say four, some indicators and they'll say okay i'm going to back test these indicators from last year maybe the year before so i'm going to go through the market and see how many times my my indicators tell me that the market's going to move one way and let's say for example that they're right you know five out of ten times so 50 percent success rate so what the idea is is that then when you do that for real you've got to make sure that the profits you're going to make on those five correct trades are enough to cover the loss and to give you a profit. Uh, So that's, and and that's what sort of interests me. So I was reading something the other day about sort of how people create these sort of, sort of algorithms or these bots that essentially will just 
essentially pick up on certain indicators and certain environments in the market and say, all right, this is time to go long or this is time to go short. They're going to be right. You know, there's a success rate of what, 50 or, or whatever, or maybe, you know, more or less. And then the idea is that you can sort of manage your, your exposure to each trade from there on. And that's, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's but, interesting, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. That, that is interesting. Um, like, the thing is, is systematic trading strategies, they are definitely used by institutional traders. So they do have merit. You know, um, you have these products called relative value hedge funds, where basically they'll, they'll, have, they'll have certain um, parameters that they look at. And if, if certain criteria is met, they'll put a trade on and it'll, it'll either be long or short depending on, on what things are doing. And so um, I think what you're saying is completely right in that, in the, you know, m- managing risk and having, having certain parameters that you sort of look to roll out systematically over time is, is yeah, it's certainly something you need, to, you need to look into. But have you, have you heard of a website called Quantopian, Toby? No, no. So, so basically, I, I mean, I'm not sure if you're into coding and Python and things, but basically what you can do is code a systematic strategy and then quant- you can then put it into Quantopian and it basically backtests it. So, for example, oh, you, could, you, could have, okay. you could have a mean reversion strategy that looks to go long the worst five performing stocks in the S&P over a given time frame. And then short the best performing ones because you think that if 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 that's going if someone doing really bad they're going to revert up and if someone doing really well they're going to go back down and you can basically use that strategy run it through um, run it through previous market conditions over you know ten years for example and it plots your returns. That's really interesting. Um, and and what's more interesting, what's yeah. more interesting is that if you actually provide a strategy that uh, makes a profit but also has low correlations to the index itself. Um, you can actually sell your code. Mm. Um, and I think people do that. Wow. Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. That sounds really, that's, yeah, if you show me that, that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, that sounds really interesting. I mean, with, um, with those things, indicators I was talking about, so to, just very briefly, indicators are ways that people use to yeah, measure, measure how trends are going or, or if they want to reverse trend, for example. But that in itself is a massive industry. So one of the things I've read about sort of these, some, some Instagram stars, I mean, I'm sure some of them hopefully do make money on, on the Forex market I mean, and are mu- genuine they people. Must, yeah. they, must, they must do because they spend so much money on advertising. So they've got to get... Well, one yeah. of the things I was reading in, um, I think it was like, this is money that that magazine um, is they were sort of saying that what they what they do is they, they'll have these indicators and they'll say they've got like a 90% success rate and if you want it I'll sell it to you for a thousand pounds and then yeah. maybe do lessons for 500 so what one of the problems with it is I think it's it's because it's in between what the government sees as gambling and, and finance the regulation seems to be a bit more murky whereas because I, I i would think if the firms i've worked out i mean if they don't have authorization then they just they just can't they can't work you know they can't run you know yeah. and the financial advisors have to do loads of exams as well to be able to give advice but you get these sort of sort of institutions of people sort of in that sort of middle area where the, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem that the regulation is too clear so the, the people do get scammed doing it and it is an area so i think because it promises get rich quick 
Yeah. Um, it is an area that people do, yeah. But what, what I'm planning on doing anyway, um, after I've got all these exams out of the way, is to just try it for a year, maybe two. Mm. I've got some money saved up. I'm not going to say how much it is. <laughs> it's not that much. I'm just embarrassed if I lose it all. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm, I just kind of want to, I think, and I've had one of the analysts where I work tell me it's a stupid idea already. I've had sort of other people who I've been who've tried, tried training say they lost everything. And I know I, I should probably take that on board and maybe, you know, look for something more concrete to do. But I, I kind of want to just have a go at it, have a try at it. Because um, I think, I don't know if it's the same in your, your experience, but again, that sort of training has always seen to me as absolute no, you know, you should be going for, you, know, you should be trying to invest for the long term. Don't, don't even try the day trading sort of thing. But yeah, I kind of want it, it's more of a challenge for myself, really, just to see a new area of how yeah. things work. And we've said this before, like, it's kind of one of those things where it, you don't want to regret it in a way. So it's like, you'd rather taste it. And if it doesn't go well, you lose it all. That's fine. You just draw, draw a line under it, but it's kind of tasting it and feeling it. Uh, is almost more important than the sort of financial return, the possible financial return or like, yeah. does, does that make sense? It's like almost tasting mm. it, getting it wrong is actually you know, more valuable to you than actually uh, the, the X amount of money that you put into your... Uh, Absolutely, yeah. You, know, yeah. you never try, you never know. Yeah, and like you, it's kind of like that big thing about regret. And, it, you know, if you never taste it, you, you're going to always be like, oh, what if? And mm. But if you taste it, and it goes really well and fantastic. But if it doesn't, then, you know, so what, draw a line and move on. So it's kind of like, yeah, absolutely. I, I completely get I think, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the, 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 the idea of having a system, re- like that interests me more than anything really, um, is having that sort of mathematical system where you'll do a certain number of trades and you're going to win, you know, based on our past, past performance, we're going to win X out of however many. And if you manage your risk in that situation, then you should make money. I mean, mm. that, that's, what, that's what I'm so super interested mm. in, really. Um, and see if I can, as a retail investor as well, be able to come up with something like that. Yeah, yeah and, and, and to be honest, Toby, I, I do think potentially there may always be a market for Forex trading for, for retail investors. Because if you think about it from like a diversification point of view, if you have, you know, a standard stocks and shares ISA with, with, you know, standard exposure, you know, like fixed income and equities, you know, or all, 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 all long instruments, you know, you're just going to essentially be linked with the market. But if, if you say on the side of like 10% of your capital in a, in a Forex account where you're implementing a systematic trading strategy, taking long and short positions, you're going to be making money, assuming your model's correct, regardless of what the wider equity indices are doing. So, so yeah, that, that, that's a really yeah. good that's a really good way of actually reducing the overall risk of your of your portfolio. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually. Yeah, yeah. So you to think about. I mean, yeah, because I mean, you're just. I mean, because what is quite interesting about it is if the market, if you're, you can bet on things going up as well as down, and I know you can do that on shares as well. But that it just offers, yeah, a more more broad range of sort of investments you can make that I do have are maybe negatively correlated against your more traditional markets. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So a funny story about, uh, so I've got two friends that are quite into sort of, I guess, money or investing and stuff. And we, we keep on trying, every time a Forex uh, account pops up on an Instagram advertising thing, we always message them and we're trying, to, we're trying to get them say, so we're trying to say that we've got, say, we've just got uh, some inheritance money and we've got 8,000 pounds, but we've seen you've got fantastic <laughs> yeah. returns. So what we want to do is give you 50 pounds 
you can return 100% return over say two weeks or a day or whatever and we'll give you the rest of it and so we're, we're trying to like always like pyramid scheme these people into like giving us some money and so we're like saying we'll give you 50 quid they give us 100 quid and then we back out of it and we're trying to we're trying to just, <laughs> yeah we're trying to always scam the scammers in a way but it's uh, we've messaged about 10 and we've got no hits yet so maybe the more honest than we yeah. think but yeah I mean, it's, 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 it's such a weird one because if you sort of just, if you just Google FCA, Instagram, Forex, mm-hmm. there's some quite, there's some quite, not funny because people, people obviously have lost money trusting certain yeah. people. I'm not, obviously, I, I don't know these people. I don't, you know, I'm not saying that they are all scammers, but, you know, but no, no, some no. of them have, have been added to the, um, so the FCA, I didn't even know they ah, had them. They have a warning right. list. They have a warning list. Um, a few of them have been added to that and so it's but yeah it just it's just a really weird area of finance really that I don't yeah. think maybe the regulators probably haven't quite caught cool. up on yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. I mean to be honest I don't know how some of these guys like sleep at night because my, my uncle our uncle he spent uh, £1,500 I think on a um, on like a trading course with some with some, <laughs> with some guy and he had like basically went to these seminars where they give you a big book and then they talk you through price action and all these different technical indicators and he actually gave me a memory stick that he was given and uh basically it was it was basically a video of him giving them a lecture and he actually did this really weird thing where he basically went onto this platform and just in front of a whole audience uh, he just kind of went, right, I'm going to go into this position now. And then he saw the price sort of move and then he saw his account go into the green and stuff. And then he's like, right, I think I'm going to exit now. And then everyone gave him a round of applause. <laughs> and that was just like, I remember at the time when I was maybe a bit more naive thinking, oh my God, it's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But my uncle, my uncle was saying, yeah, I reckon that was fake. And looking back, I think he, he might actually be, if that might actually have been fake but it's a really weird one i don't know why anybody i don't know why anybody would place a trade in front of an audience when they don't when they don't know the, the timings of, of what's actually going on in the market but there's anyway. a lot that goes into into a specific trade and i'm not sure that you can make a trade on you know you can't swing at every ball essentially so i'm not sure for him it's like it would, yeah but, I, don't, I don't know but i, I don't know but like what happens if he was doing the seminar and then hit the, hit the click button to like go into the trade, and then it went down twenty bips, or and, and, and then yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, oh, it doesn't quite click for me. I don't know about you. I think um, yeah, so I know. So I think from from the way things I've read, and I've come across sort of similar stuff where you you know you can watch YouTube videos of people doing like a yeah so called live kind of feed of them trading. Mm. Um, but I think potent, uh, now I'm still not absolutely sold on this. I will tell all the listeners I, I, I don't know if this is going to make me money or not um, but, but I think the risk management thing is probably more important than yeah. the sort of the, the indicators I think the indicators are there to give you sort of an idea uh, you know maybe your strategy is going to be right 45% of the time but if you know that your strategy is going to be right by a certain percentage mm. you can kind of gear your you, how much exposure you're going to give yourself to each trade to a point where it maybe doesn't matter, you know, too much if you're gonna, you know, gonna hit every single trade. But because you've hit a month, and then, yeah, then you've got profit. So um, it's yeah. it's super murky. I don't know if I'm gonna make any money from it at all. 
let's do this maybe in a year and I'll probably <laughs> say the same thing as everyone else. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's rubbish. Don't do it. But um, yeah, I just want to give it a go really and see, yeah, see if I can do it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's so different to everything I've experienced in finance. Um, so I want to just sort of explore it really and see, yeah, what's out there. Yeah. It, what you were saying earlier is really interesting about how um, if you're right 45% of the time, sorry, 55% of the time you're wrong 45 then it's kind of the system almost works. It's almost like geared like a roulette table that if you're the house, you want to come out on top and in profit. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what, you know, that's one green square flipping it, flipping it. So it's in the house's favor, which is quite interesting. And so if you can actually score that, um, instead of being right 100%, you want to be right 55, then that's quite, it feels more yeah. accessible and feels like a less, mm. feels like less of a gamble. If you've got your risk management exactly. in place. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, I watched, I watched a YouTube video where, this guy was doing Python and he was basically running Monte Carlo simulations mm. in a roulette wheel context and how basically oh, yeah. he showed the difference yeah. in distributions of returns um, where you have the house wins one out of 30 mm. versus like 50, 50 or something yeah. red black and how the over a long period of time, it, the returns were a lot more negative when the house won. Yeah. And, and so it's, it just kind of goes back to like the law of large numbers and things and how, yeah. and how, you know, the underlying percentages will drive the returns. Yes. Yeah. That's super, that's, that's an interesting new way of looking at it, which I haven't actually thought of before. Um, good yeah. stuff, Toby. That's, uh, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I bet I, I bid you, uh, good luck with, uh, yeah. <laughs> with, with your, with your Forex ventures. Well, you might and, see me on uh, Instagram with a really nice car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you'll, you know, you'll be like standing in front of the Lamborghini, yeah. but pointing at a book saying yeah. that this, this changes life. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll be, yeah, outside of someone else's house. It won't even be my car. I'll just fly home, this looks nice. Tell me, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the course yeah. probably, so. Yeah, let's recap the year and I'll, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see it. what happens, eh? Yeah. Great, well, um, Thanks very much for, for joining us today, Toby. It's been, it's been pretty good. Yeah, it's been pretty awesome. cool. All right, cheers, guys. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Cool. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Toby. Bye. Bye, mate. Cheers, Toby.